Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, where we empower you with the answers to your burning questions to accelerate your career into the sports industry. We are your hosts, Melbourne-based sports administrators, Ruben Williams and Ryan Walker. Join us as we share unique and personal examples as well as relatable information and deliver them to you in bite-sized, fluff-free episodes. Want to swipe our signature framework to add awesome experience to your resume? Download our free ebook, Four Steps to Create Outstanding Work Experience in Sport, at sportsgrad.com.au. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our latest episodes released every Tuesday and Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. My name is Ruben Williams and it is very exciting to be with you today. And I'm joined by none other than the fabulous Ryan Walker. Ryan, how are you? Rubes, I'm fantastic, mate. I'm very excited to get on board with this with you and uh, we're going to have a bit of fun along the way, I'm sure. Absolutely. I can't wait to get stuck in, Ryan. Thank you for being a part of it. Together, Ryan and I have been working in the sports industry for four to five years each, including organisations such as Cricket Australia, Australian University Sport, the Hawthorne Football Club, the T20 Women's World Cup, recreation centres and a number of grassroots cricket clubs, football clubs, as well as university societies. Within these, we've been working across a range of functions including commercial, digital, game development, team operations, marketing and membership. Today, we're not going to kick off with a bite side episode. Today is a very special episode being number one. We thought we'd launch on a Monday, but usually we will. you will hear from us every Tuesday and Thursday. Now, in between the bite-sized episodes where we'll be addressing the burning questions of students and graduates and young professionals looking to break into sport, every couple of weeks, we're going to bring you the insights straight from the people who are working within the industry. Today, we're joined by Ali Durkis, who is the HR manager of the T20 World Cup in Australia 2020, and we're asking her about what she looks for in her candidates. Ali started off as an accounting cadet at PwC before moving to HR officer roles at Catholic Education and then into a people and culture advisor role at Cricket New South Wales before she joined the T20 World Cup, where she was the first person hired after Nick Hockley or Nick Hockley's first hire, um, making her employee number four out of 65 employees at the local organising committee. Ali, firstly, when you're setting up a local organising committee, what, what's the process in terms of establishing all the initial roles and then the ones that fall underneath them? Thanks, SportsGrad, for having me. Really excited to be here on your first podcast of the series. Um, I guess when I first started, um, my number one priority was setting up the resourcing plan, um, which we're pretty fortunate to have the foundation of the Cricket World Cup that was in Australia in 2015. So we used that as our platform and modelled off their structure to a certain extent. Um, the tournament was really successful and we did have the whole Australian cricket family behind us. So we built the model um, based on that, but just a lot smaller. Um, so it was really just working through determining what each department would need to achieve their goals and then the resources that they required, I guess, to do that successfully. And how long would it typically take uh, before you start to see some of the more entry-level roles start to become available? Obviously, you start from the top and work, work your way down. How long does it typically take to really kind of flesh out the roles within a local organising committee? Um, our our entire plan took about a year 
to hire um, all levels of the business. But we did, yeah, hire the executive team first and get those structures set up. And then I worked with each of our general managers as they came on board to really timeframe what roles they wanted to hire and when. So it wasn't completely consistent across the business. We did have some cases where we hired functional area leads and then built out their team, but we did do it backwards in some cases as well. So I'd say probably about three months in, we had the GMs on board and then we were consistently hiring at all levels of the business throughout that. Um, And I guess also as it came closer to tournament time, we had to review our resourcing and what was available to us. Um, We did actually build up our team probably larger than we thought we initially would as we got closer to tournament. So there were a number of shorter term roles that we brought on just to deliver. So, Ali, you were in charge of appointing the entire field force of volunteers for the recent T20 World Cup women's tournament. Firstly, can you share what that process was like from your perspective? It was a big process, um, but it was amazing. It just really solidified how lucky we are to work in sport. There's so much passion and expertise in our community, um, and it was amazing to see how sport did bring together from people from all walks of life. We had, you know, people that were in high school, people that were studying at university through to seasoned pros. Um, you know, we had general managers from other sporting codes that just wanted to be involved in the tournament because of what it meant to sports. So, yeah, it was a really amazing experience to meet all these different people all around the country. And how many volunteers did you end up with and how many interviews did you have to sit through to get to that point? Don't quote me on exact numbers. I should know this, uh, but we did uh, over a thousand interviews across the country and ended up appointing around half of that. So about 500 or so uh, volunteers around the country. So that was in all six of our host cities. What would a, like a volunteer interview look like in comparison to a regular job interview? Would there be any sort of difference? Absolutely. Firstly, probably a little bit less pressure, uh, but we did do it in, Maybe, yeah. in a group uh, scenario. So we had a number of different sessions that we ran. Um, we asked our volunteers to come in for two hours. We did a little bit of training, giving them more, some more introductions, some group sessions, and then we actually did spend um, one-on-one time with every single volunteer for at least five to 10 minutes and just running through, I guess, understanding their background briefly, um, outlining the role and understanding how they feel that they were suited and what they wanted to get out of being involved with the tournament. When you're interviewing over a thousand people, I'm guessing you're probably looking for, you know, people who can stand out that make it an easy decision for yourself to be able to pick them. What were some of those things that uh, successful candidates were doing that allowed them to stand out and and made your job easier? Well, it was really about just being themselves and opening up pretty quickly. Like I said, it was five to 10 minutes, so you haven't got a long time to warm up and and impress. And it was really just about building that connection with them quickly, um, looking for people that had volunteered previously or they had transferable professional experience. Um, We wanted people that had been there, done that, and also people that were really going to build the next generation of volunteers as well. So it was just about building that personal connection quickly. So we talk to students a lot about their resume because obviously it's a, it's a huge part of, of any um, of any job and we basically tell them to keep it under two pages so you don't make the uh, the hiring manager, which would be you in this instance, uh, sort of groan because it's too long. Um, is this a true sort of reflection from your perspective as the person has to sort through these piles of applications to, to keep it short and sweet? 
or do you like having as much info as possible? I know I 100% agree with this. Um, I'm, I think it's always a good process to be constantly reviewing your CV and that's something I'm doing myself at the moment. I'm actually trying to challenge myself to get it down to one page, so I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> I think I might need to give you mine because mine's just a little bit over one, so need a bit of help to get that down. What can we cut out? <laughs> yeah, a lot. And just on that, Ali, what, what does the resume that you love to read look like and include? I think there's no complete method to the madness, um, but you really just want it to be um, the place that you outline your experience and qualifications. And I see the cover letter as the way that you share your personality and share your suitability for the job you're applying for. So I think you should focus on, if you are trying to keep it concise, focus on the important information. So I would have your qualifications, um, what your relevant experience it is, um, and it shouldn't just regurgitate the position descriptions you've had in the past. So I think it should include key dot points to outline the contribution that you personally made within that role or um, your key achievements rather than just a list of tasks. Um, It's about bringing that role to life and selling yourself in that way. Um, I think it's also important to start that cover letter from scratch for each job that you apply for. Um, You can really tell the difference from someone who's genuinely applying for the job that you're hiring versus someone that's just applying for every single job that's out there. So, that personal touch um, so, job seeking is almost a full-time job in itself. So, you really do invest the time in um, applying for roles you're excited and passionate about. And I think you'll notice the difference um, in the responses that you get when you are genuinely applying for that role. That's actually a, an interesting point. You know, I, I, across sort of my career so far, I've come across some people who actually have a cover letter template that they use and sort of dropping the blanks or sort of where they think it differentiates for the different job. So you think literally start from scratch, don't bother with any template, it's got to be genuine from the get-go? I think it is the best way to go and you can really tell the difference when you're reading it because if it's just like to who it may concern, please find and touch my application for so-and-so job at so-and-so um company, the amount of times I've received those and the job title or the company is incorrect. Um, so, they're obviously passionate oh. about a different job. Uh, and so, yeah. I mean, whilst that's probably just a bit, it tells a bit about their attention to detail, I think that you genuinely can tell and, and I, it's important to look at the key responsibilities or the key things that they're looking for with that particular role and try and sell yourself based on your experience in your CV in your cover letter based on that job. So, if it's that they want someone that has previous experience in XYZ, you can then bring that to life in your cover letter and explain why you tick the box for that particular um, prerequisite. We've read uh, quite a few cover letters on behalf of students and a lot of them tend to lean towards being uh, overly formal. Uh, From your perspective, what... um, Room is there to add a bit of flair and a bit of colour to your to your cover letter to really kind of show your personality. I think that's absolutely where you need to do it. You've got to sell yourself and your personality. Um, I think the CV is the more formal um, component of your application, but whether you're doing a covering email or a covering letter, I think that you absolutely should not submit a application without that. Um, and that's where you can kind of bring yourself to life. So you know, you could say can't wait to hear from you about my future job or whatever it may be. Um, kind of try and put yourself in the shoes of actually working for that business and sell yourself not only from the skills and experience, but also what you'd add from a cultural element as well, because that's really important. Um, so, in a obviously you're selling yourself in a cover letter, 
but you're also selling yourself in your job interview as well if, if you are to get that far. How crucial is your cover letter um, as you enter a job interview? Sort of, Are you looking at that cover letter just before the interview to see, you know, do, do the answers match up to what they've done in their cover letter? And, you know, should that cover letter almost be used as a roadmap for a candidate in an interview? I think that they should absolutely align. I wouldn't encourage anyone to um, sugarcoat or exaggerate anything that they've done, but I think that it's also important when you're looking at a job, if you haven't ticked every single box on the required list, spin it to a way that is of an advantage to you. So, think about your potential and maybe it is that you just haven't had the opportunity previously to achieve the key requirements, but you absolutely believe that you're capable. Um, I think it's about selling yourself in that way. Um, But yeah, I think that you shouldn't ever be afraid as a candidate to potentially even bring your own CV and cover letter or notes in with you to an interview. There's no shame in that. Sit there and you can reference your notes. Also, not being afraid of a silence. If a question's asked and you want to take a little bit of time to consider, don't feel that you need to fill the space with an um or an ah. Just Feel happy with that uncomfortable silence. Take a moment and actually think about your answers before you before you speak. And I guess if you are struggling, don't be afraid to ask for them to repeat the question as well. So, so if I'm going into an interview and I've thought of you know five really cool and hard hitting questions that I want to ask of the organisation, but I know I'm going to forget them, is it okay for me to print them out and bring them in? Absolutely. I think it just shows that you're prepared. And you're not afraid to kind of revert back to your notes to make sure that everything's covered. And I mean, some candidates even take notes within an interview when they're asking questions as well. And I think that that's all, you know, it is a unnatural um, experience being in an interview. Uh, I think people aren't really great at talking about themselves or selling themselves. So, it is really weird. And sometimes it can be high stressed or, um, you know, you might walk out of the room and go, wow, I've forgotten everything they've said. So, I think taking notes and, and, and bringing in stuff with you there's no I don't see any issue with that I find that really interesting like I think all like the interviews that I've done I reckon a lot of the stress is trying to gather in your mind like how can I put my best foot forward and sort of remember the the five things I really want to get across so I don't know is that it's the same as you yeah I know in in the past I've like I asked a question because I've I've done that before by bringing in my own questions um but I haven't really kind of you know, had my own sort of cheat sheet in terms of bringing in my own uh, examples of what I'm going to talk about. So that's really interesting to hear that, you know, that sort of thing is, is totally fine. I think, yeah, it isn't a memory test. And like I said, it's a really, can be a really uncomfortable circumstance, especially if you're get, you know, in front of a panel of multiple people. So I think you've just got to, they understand that you're a person and sometimes people aren't their 100% true selves in an interview because they're trying to put their best foot forward or they're nervous. So I think if you've got that in front of you and that's going to help ease your nerves, I see no issue with that. Um, and, you know, even I've had candidates come in with the PD and they've got a few things highlighted because they've got some questions or things they want to clarify. So, I think, you know, whatever makes you comfortable. Yeah, awesome. That's just super cool. Um, do, you have a, do you have an interview that's stuck out in your mind that you've, you know, you're interviewing a candidate that you will never forget? Like they've said something in this, in this interview or they've asked a question or given you an example that you thought, I'm never going to forget this interview with this person? I have and I think it was probably for the wrong reasons. Um, I've Majority of the time, um, you know, 
when you are receiving hundreds of applications and you spend the time shortlisting and then working with the hiring manager to determine who you're actually going to speak with. I also phone screen people prior, um, but I did get one in years gone by that was complete left of field and um, just decided to kind of swear their whole way through it, um, had been through a redundancy with another organisation and said, oh, but I'm fine with it. I'm not bitter about it at all, but uh, obviously <laughs> hadn't, hadn't moved on and that may have been their dream job and they were just looking for another job. So needless to say, they weren't the right person for us and we probably weren't the right job for them, but that was definitely a memorable one. <laughs> <laughs> so don't swear through your interview is your advice. Yeah, just yeah, try if you If you do swear, it's probably, yeah, in, interview isn't the best place for it. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And so the next uh, T20 World Cup will go ahead at some stage, um, obviously a bit of a hold-up at the moment due to the circumstances, but how can people get involved as a volunteer and what sort of roles um, do you need? Well, we're always on the hunt for amazing volunteers and, and where possible we'd love for everyone that helped us on the women's event to also be involved with the men's Um so for the moment, until we have a decision, our online portal for volunteers is on hold. Um, but as soon as it is back up and running, I'll share it with sports grads so that your listeners can kind of get the first um, scoop to to put their name in there and put in their expression of interest. Um, we have all different roles from spectator services, being on the ground, being fan facing, to working with our media and broadcast team and supporting their all the visiting media and broadcasters that um, with anything and everything that they need, um, people in cricket operations, people in the workforce team. Um, it's endless, all the different opportunities. And I think it was really cool to see across the women's event, anything that needed to be done, any gaps that were picked up during the time, the volunteers were putting their hands up. So we had volunteers carrying out the trophy. We had volunteers on the boundary rope doing the ball retrieval over the LED boards and throwing the balls back balls back to the best cricketers in the world and we'll be having the same likelihood to have the same roles in the men. So I think there's, you know, really great opportunities that aren't necessarily advertised as well. And for someone who would be interested to volunteer at the World Cup, we we talk a lot about getting volunteer experience um, to add to your resume and sort of building up what what you've been involved in in sport. What are the benefits do you think um, – candidates would get by volunteering at the T20 World Cup? I think it gives you that first-hand look at what it takes behind the scenes to get an an event um, together and bring it to life. All of us, you know, or most of us listening to this would likely be sports fans and have attended sport events in your past and really enjoy it as a fan. But I think, you know, up until I worked in sport, you just don't actually appreciate what goes into it behind the scenes. So I think it really does give you that sense of, you know, it can be, you know, from the outside look quite glamorous. And in a lot of cases, the roles that exist in sport aren't. So it's probably a bit of a reality check for some people um, that it may not be exactly what they think. And I think it's also a good opportunity to experience different areas. So you may be studying sport management at uni, but you end up doing a job in the accreditation booth in an event and that you might find that that's your niche and something that you really enjoy. So it can give you, you know, different perspectives and and not just look at the stereotypical roles. There are so many roles in sport that you probably don't even know exist. Ali, looking at your career now, as a person who sits in and assesses plenty of interviews, what interview advice would you give your younger self who first interviewed at PwC all those years ago? I know it's easier said than done um, in hindsight, but I would say remain calm and be yourself. 
I think, you know, when you're hiring a role, like I said previously, they're not expecting you to have all the perfect dances or, you know, be the best version of yourself, unfortunately, because it's such an unnatural scenario. So I would just say, yeah, be calm and, and know that you're the people that you're meeting with are just other people who want to get to know you. And what did you learn in those first two years of working that you've carried with you today? Genuinely, I feel like I just learned how to be an adult, as crazy as it sounds. Um, I think when you think about it, as a new grad, most adults you've dealt with in your life are family, teachers, lecturers, or maybe your boss in your casual role. So, it's a real shift um, to go into a professional business and be treated as an equal by some really impressive and smart people. So, you just need to be confident that you belong there. Um, I also tried to be a sponge. So, just tried to learn as much as I could um, from as many people as possible, say yes to absolutely every opportunity even if it was outside of my comfort zone yeah nice so so following pwc you eventually ended up at cricket new south wales however it wasn't long before you made the great decision to come down to melbourne and join the t20 world cup team what elements of the application process do you think you perform really well in that our listeners could adopt I think it was in the um, face-to-face interview and probably the reason that I did end up, um, you know, I guess ending up with a job and performing well throughout the application process was that um, it all stemmed back to the leaders that I had at Cricket New South Wales. Um, I had an amazing CEO and GM who believed in me and was super supportive of, and I guess saw things in me that I didn't see in myself and actually encouraged me to apply for this role. Um, it's so important in any job that you have that you have genuine relationships with people all across the business as unknowingly they can become your biggest fans or your allies. Um, so their support really enabled me to believe in myself and my skills and potential, um, which I think is the most important one. Like I said earlier, it's not just what you've experienced, it's what you are capable of. Um, so just because you have had haven't had the chance to do something before doesn't mean you can't, um, which I think is important to remember, especially for women, um, we have to be better at backing ourselves. From the, from the beginning at PwC all the way up to the T20 World Cup, you've worked in a range of industries. How is sport different with regard to what organisations look for in their candidates? I think in terms of skills and experience, it isn't any different. They want We want to hire great people who are going to be good at doing the job that they're being hired to do, but I think it extends more than that. It's more around the passion that they have for the organisation or for sport or for community that really sets candidates apart and I think sets apart people that work in sport versus people in other industries. I think... People are really passionate, uh, love what they do, and, you know, they say you'd never work a day in your life if you work in sport. I don't know if that's 100% true, but most of the time it is. Awesome. So, Ali, finally, what is your number one piece of advice to job hunters out there at the moment? I know this may not be as helpful as you'd like, but it really is a time at the moment like we've never experienced before. Um, Obviously, the world that we're living in at the moment, um, you know, you, you don't need to hear again that it's unprecedented um, times. But I think the number one thing is to be patient, even though that is super frustrating. Think about your dream role in sport. It Maybe even Google an old ad or position description and then look at the criteria. It may not immediately be available in the sporting market, but look at what could be transferable. Is there a different job out there that you could find in the meantime that might be similar, um, that you could 
use to build on your skills and experience and put you in a better position for when those roles in sport become available again in hopefully the next few months. Um, I think also with community sport coming back, it's a great opportunity to get involved with a club or association, volunteer time um, and get that exposure. It's not only the things that you learn there, but the connections that you can build in your clubs and associations that might help connect you into either the state or the national governing body. Awesome. We might wrap it up there. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Ali. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast and being our very special guest for our first episode. Um, we've learned a stack for ourselves tonight, and so I think there's plenty for our listeners to, to go away with. But just wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to, to join us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, and good luck to all sports grad listeners on their quest for the dream job in sport. Thank you for listening to episode one of the Sports Grad podcast. If you would like to connect with any of us on today's show, you can find us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to connect with us on socials and tag us if you're listening, you can find us at Sports Grad. And if you would like some more help with your sports career, check out sportsgrad.com.au. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, make sure you subscribe to hear future episodes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really means so much to us.